Hey love, thanks for tuning in today. Are you or someone you care about stuck in the struggles of divorce, feeling heartbroken, lonely, or simply lost in life? Well, have no fear, the Joy Ride experience is here. A 16-week women's growth group to heal heartbreak and reclaim joy after divorce. Join this tight-knit community because you deserve to be seen, heard, and healed with other women who just get it. Joyride is complete with an all-inclusive transformational toolbox, including both one-to-one and group coaching sessions, weekly growth modules, workbooks, and custom integration practices to implement in your daily life. I'm on a mission to empower women to become relentless about choosing and using joy to design the life they truly desire. I saved a seat on the best life bus and it's time to snag a spot. Simply visit joyfullydivorce.com today to book a free joy ride session and make sure it's a fit for you. We're enrolling now for the August through December 2022 session. All right, it's time to start this joy jam. Join me now. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to Cup of Joy, the podcast. I'm your host, Heidi B. And on this show, we'll talk truth on tough topics to help you normalize and navigate the junk and invite you to choose epic joy on the daily. Because let's be honest, life gets to be a whole lot of both. We'll jam on beliefs, breakups, body image, and so much more to create breakthroughs and become the truest you. Like my mama B always says, put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. Let's start. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Heartbreak Happy Hour, where we meet up for the summer series every single Tuesday night. And I have an incredible co-host every week. We jam on how to shift your heartbreak into healing. And my co-host is about to pop on here right now. So as soon as she requests to join, we'll get her going. And as usual, you guys, you can drop in questions as we go. We also have a bunch of you who have submitted questions beforehand that will be going. So here she is. Review request. Let's get her in here. Do, do, do. Give it a minute. There we go. Hi there. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? It is wonderful to see you, my friend. It's so great to see you. It's been a while and I've been craving your genius. We have so many incredible questions for tonight's Heartbreak Happy Hour. I can't even, I can't even tell you. It's just, it's so good. How are you making yourself sparkle? I want to sparkle. Oh, there we go. Oh, you're sparkly. (laughs) You are sparkly. Look at you all shiny. You're always a sparkly, sparkly. Well, I want to let our friends know who are just jumping on, let them know kind of uh, all about you. So, you know, you guys, Dr. Sean is a shame-busting psychologist. She's incredible. She uplifts and equips and inspires people through emotional sobriety, wholehearted living. She's got a TED Talk all on shame. She also has, I believe it's your first, right? Is it your first? Yes, my first. Her first book coming out hot off the press, which I feel so excited. I got a copy. Woo! I got my copy! 
dive into, but she is self-published right here. She is not self-published. She's published. She is published. And we're going to talk all things on that. But tonight, we really want to get to all of your questions on shifting heartbreak into healing, whatever that means for you. Um, and so we'll just dive in, I guess. Is there anything that you want to share uh, with our listeners? Specifically? I'm ready to dive in. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. So for those of you who don't know me, maybe you're jumping on and seeing me for the first time. Uh, I'm a divorce coach. And so I really help people navigate the waters of divorce, reclaim their joy and shift from heartbreak into healing. So hence heartbreak happy hour. But this isn't just for divorcees. It's for anybody who is feeling like their heart is hurting and we can help you through whatever it is that um, we're going to jam on tonight. So a lot of our questions come from that kind of a space, but not all of them. So I saved some of these. I'm not going to lie. I saved some of these questions from the last three weeks just for you because of your expertise in shame. And I've had some people kind of dance on the topic a little bit, but I've got quite a few questions around shame that I think that we should just dive in. You ready? Go for it. Let's do it. So the first question says, my kids blame us for making them feel miserable. I feel so much shame around this. Hmm. For making them feel miserable. Well, first off, this sounds a little bit like some emotional manipulation going on. And the way you can tell if you are being emotionally manipulated is if you are being accused of the thing that is most important to you. So if you're a parent who is very important to you, that you raise responsible children with a really good work ethic, then when you're trying to get your kids to do homework, they're going to accuse you of not equipping them with a good enough work ethic. Mm. Now, you do not teach them to be responsible, so how can they be a take initiative and so forth? If, you're, if you value that they have really good self-esteem, then when you ask them to do homework, they're going to say, I, I, do, I hate myself, nobody likes me, I can't do homework, I'm so down, you know, and the parent then gets completely hooked by this, like, what, wait, no, I do care about this, I do, and it activates you. So whenever we get triggered, which shame, guilt, those kinds of things are a, an emotional inflammation, right? So your emotions are getting flared up and that's indicating that something hooked you that violated essentially what you expect from your children. Like you want them, you expect them to not feel miserable because you've been such a committed, dedicated parent. So now that they're saying you're making them miserable, we cannot have that. So I'm now hooked and engaged. So if this is going on, I would just say back up and stay focused on the objective. Ground yourself in the truth. Do I take care of my kids and do a good job? Yes. Am I doing my best under these circumstances? Yes. Do I make mistakes? Of course, parents make mistakes, but I am not solely responsible for my children's emotional state and they're going to be miserable. And in fact, uh, research shows that it's healthy to let your kids experience uh, the distress so they can learn how to tolerate distress. Ooh. And so this kind of statement, of course, 
I don't have further details about what they're right. referring to. If they're, if they're going through grief and loss with the divorce, and this is their way of saying, I, I am miserable because my mommy and daddy are not married. Okay, so in this moment, we do want to hold space for the kid mm. and acknowledge that this is painful. This is hard. And let it be okay that your child is having a, miser a, a, a negative emotion around this divorce. Mm. And, and just acknowledge it. This is hard and it has impacted you and you are sad about that. And I'm sad about it too, honey. Yeah. And just be still, be quiet, be with them and not try to change that emotion. Don't try to change it, just let it be. If you want a good example of that, look um, to the movie Inside Out where sadness is talking to the elephant and the elephant is really sad about a whole bunch of things. And sadness says, you know, like, oh, I, I know why you're sad. That makes sense why you're sad. It's a great example of holding space and validating. Now with that said, if they are bringing, these children are bringing up, you're making me miserable to deflect from a responsibility or something they need to take care of, um, then they're likely using this to escape responsibility and to distract from their, their part, you know? So there's two parts of this. One, you validate, and then also keep, keep them structured. It's important that kids still are responsible to do what they need to do. And um, just say, well, I see this is miserable, but you still need to go pick up the dog poop. Yeah. <laughs> or something, you know. I love all the layers that you just shared there too. And, and I love also what you said, we've had this on other heartbreak happy hours where we can only share so much because in a normal um, therapy session or coaching session, it would be a lot of back and forth questions to see what's what question is really being asked. So we're going to just do our best based on kind of what we have here um, and kind of have to make some assumptions. So thanks for doing that. I love the advice of really grounding yourself in the truth. Like what is actually really true for you in this moment without taking on everything else that is coming in? Because I think that's maybe where the shame comes in. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, and just objective facts, you know, I, I have protected my children. I've I've provided for my children. They're doing what they need to do. I hold love in my heart. I don't call, I'm not verbally abusive. I'm not physically abusive. You know, just check, you know, what would make a child's life miserable? And am I doing these things? And so it is sad. Divorce is sad, right? And your kids are going to be sad about it. My parents were divorced and it is sad and it just is. And so the shame-free approach really is, is shame resilience. And with that, it means we can tolerate those negative emotions. It's okay to feel guilty. It's okay to experience shame. It's okay to be angry, sad, those things. We don't have to avoid it, change it, uh, make sure the kids don't see us that way. If the kids want to say I'm a bad mommy and they're mad at me for all sorts of things, okay. That doesn't define me. And it doesn't navigate my emotional state. I have to stay grounded in who I am, regardless of my circumstances, and not let my emotions be like a, a sail that flows with my children's words. 
Mm. You know, that's too much power to give to children. And the children need parents to be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kinder. So you need to stay above mm. uh, and just let it be okay. Whatever, you know, they're feeling, thinking, and but stay, stay grounded in today. What do we need to do today? Am I honest? Yes. Am I doing a good job? Yes. You know. Mm. That is so 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 good. All right, so let's go. We have so many questions, so we're gonna keep them rolling. Um, the second one says, "I decided to get the divorce, and I feel so much shame for feeling sad, even though it's what I needed." This is very interesting. Yeah. Does this? This is this is reminds me of our podcast we did on grief and loss with divorce, right? Yeah. Because, because I've heard so many people say I. I would get more support if my spouse had passed away. But when I get divorced, I still go through the grief and loss as if it died because the dream died. You didn't plan on getting divorced. You had a dream with this person and that now is gone. And so even though we make that choice, even though one makes that choice because it is wise and best for whatever reason, uh, they still are going to have grief and loss because it's because the dream is gone and people will often not understand that because they'll think, well, if you made the decision and you make, got rid of the problem or someone who's toxic or uh, abusive situation, whatever's going on, that you would be happy, elated, joyful. No, you know, you probably have both emotions. It can happen like where you're relieved or you're, you're um, looking forward to, maybe a new chapter empowering yourself but at the same time um feeling that loss that uh it's it's over so both emotions can be there at the same time Ooh, that's so good yeah because it really is when when you have made the conscious choice to do something that's in your best interest for right. some reason in the land of divorce it's like well, you shouldn't be sad about that because you decided that. But it's yeah. not about, it's really, it, it's really like the sadness is in loss. And then also, I think there's a lot of fear there too. Don't oh, you? Oh, so much. Like, I don't want to go in the dating world and I don't have to do that and all, all the unknowns. Fear of the but unknowns, yeah. I do want to say one of the therapy um tips that I teach my clients is not to judge emotions. Don't judge them. So when we have the shoulds, I shouldn't feel this way. There's no reason for me to feel this way. If you say that to yourself, you are shaming yourself yeah. saying I'm bad for feeling bad. Feeling bad is not bad. Yeah. Feeling bad does not make you bad. It's just a feeling. That's mm. all it is. So we're going to take shoulds out. We're going to take judgments out. Even though it's unpleasant, it doesn't feel good. We can tolerate it. We'll be okay. It will pass. And we, we will survive it, even though it feels unbearable sometimes. It's okay. So we want to change the rules of negative emotions. Mm. Don't judge them. Let them be. Yeah. It, that's a tricky one because when we say, you know, really don't, don't judge your emotions, a lot of times people say, like, How? How I can't I can't stop I can't stop the okay. looping of judge self judgment. How do we kind of stop the loop of self self judgment? Is it an interrupter? Is it a what are your tips there? 
That's my favorite skill I teach. I get so excited over it. <laughs> so first of all, we can describe the hurtful and harmful and not judge it. Judging is seeing things uh, as good, bad, right, wrong, and we're putting a value on it. Okay. So it has an emotional charge to it. Like, I don't like her. Who does she think she is? Mm -hmm. Now, we can still describe that we don't enjoy our time with this person. I don't prefer time with this person. And that's all it is. Mm -hmm. I, um, I like, like uh, let's look at a lot of times people go, oh, I'm so fat. I hate it. Now that's judging. Somehow I'm putting a value on my body structure, whatever. Uh, or they can say, oh, I'm really struggling because I realize my body has excess weight on it. And I would prefer to have less because it's healthier for me. That's mm. describing. Oh, I'm such an idiot. I didn't return that call. Describing. Oh, I didn't return that call. That might cause some problems for me. I better see if I can correct this. So if you describe, you can do something with it. If you judge it, you're just condemning it. There's yeah. no lesson in that. It's like, you're out, you're done. So, um, so that's something, a mindset shift that we're, we can still say what the problem is. We can still describe the problem, but we're attending to it. So the skill I like to use to help it flow so it doesn't get sticky is, um, is what I call the conveyor belt. And I have a video on it on my YouTube channel, but I say like, take a timeline from birth till now is every thought you've ever had, feeling you've ever had is on that. Wrap it around this conveyor belt. And it's gonna come to the gates of your mind. And what we wanna do is let it slip on out. So we see it, we're not controlling what we see, but we're controlling where we direct our attention. So what you do is it comes in and you see it and go, oh, there is my loss and grief. There is this um, feeling or thought I'm having and you describe it and you let it continue passing on and you redirect your attention to the here and now and you do it over and over and over. So two things we're um, guarding from doing, we're guarding from resisting it. Why? Shoulda, woulda, coulda, have to. And we're guarding from clinging to it, which is entertaining it, ruminating it, rehearsing it. And when people do that, when it comes to other people, and they can't let it go. And they're rehearsing that. This is the birth child of shame, which is called bitterness. Oh, Bitterness is what we feel when someone doesn't have shame about some offense that they did against us. Yeah. And we can't let it go because it's unjust. And we, we feel so wronged, like a crime has happened. And so we hold on to it. Bitterness is as toxic as toxic shame. So we really have to guard from that. Ooh. That's a whole other conversation. It, it is. <laughs> it really is. Oh my gosh. That is so, so good. We'll make sure we link the YouTube video yeah. um, of the conveyor belt on, on the Cup of Joy episode next week. Um, this is another shame one. There's so many shame ones. There's so much shame around. That's because shame is at the core of our emotional behavioral problems. So we just use more tolerable language like self-esteem and people-pleasing, perfectionism, type A personality. But we're talking about shame. So Yeah, yeah. And you are the guru on shame. That's why I love you <laughs> so, so much. I've learned so much from you. Um, okay, this one says, I feel ashamed ashamed it first of all is ashamed different than shame or is it just an adjective um so guilt is personal conviction 
what I feel when I violate my standards. Shame is a social, an emotion of social correction is what I feel when I, I violated your standards. Like I might be okay with it, but you clearly were not. So I feel the emotion because you socially corrected me. Mm. Toxic shame is identity condemnation. You said that what I did was bad. Now I'm saying I am bad. Ooh. That's, that's what we need to heal and correct. Social correction is good. Like if a child steals and everybody goes, oh, you stole and they go, oh, and they get that real intense emotion. And that is there to condition us to say that is a dangerous behavior. I will get exiled from the tribe if I do that. So we want to have that social corrector in us. So when someone feels ashamed, it's, it's like they gave me a shame emotion. I felt that shame and I'm, I'm feeling, I'm now having a reflective experience with it. It's kind of like a, a guilt and shame combined. Now I'm adhering to that value system. Mm -hmm. So now I have both a conviction about it and a social correction about it. And I am feeling ashamed. Ooh. Now we don't want to hold on to that. We want to say, yes, I am experiencing this, but if I hold on to it, then I'm going to identify with it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so she, she or he or they or them say, I feel ashamed when my support circle says things like, did you try everything? Did you fight for your marriage? I feel like maybe I missed something. Okay, two things going on there. One, they are talking about social circles. So that is, a so that is um, the indicator of the shame experience, right? Because you have the social context. But there's a little invisible step here. And that is somebody said, all I said, just think about objectively. Did you try everything? Yeah. Now in comes the interpretation, the narration, and the story about what that means. That's what's hurting that person. Yes. Okay. That, oh, I should have A, B, C, and D. They think that there's something else I should be doing that I didn't do. They don't approve of me. They're judging me. I'm not okay because they're thinking critical of me, blah, blah, blah. Here comes the, the story. So rule of thumb, no stories. No stories. No do not go to the land of Oz. Do not do it. You will imagine all sorts of things that people are thinking and feeling about you. And normally it's your, what you think and feel about yourself. So we'll perceive, if we judge something, we'll think other people are judging us. You know, mm -hmm. we see this um, often. So she, this person uh, wants to guard from the story. Say, I don't know what that means to that person. But if they're feeling like, huh, I wonder if I am missing something. You can reality check that. So you can go to that person and say, um, is there some ideas you have that you would like to suggest to me? I do think I have done, I have looked at a lot of things, but is there something I'm missing? Just ask them. If mm -hmm. you think that they're suggesting that you missing something, ask them, am I missing something? And then if they have um, some things to say that you are open to or would like to try, then do it. If, if not, like if it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that, then don't do it. Give yourself permission to self-lead and you don't need to ask permission from other people for your actions. That's the child mind, not the adult mind. The mm -hmm. child mind needs permission. 
the adult mind, you have to recognize you are now the adult in the room. Mm, I love that. I've never heard anybody describe that as child mind versus adult mind and really giving yourself so much permission. That's what I work with a lot of my clients on is that self-permissioning, especially when you've been in a relationship and it's separated, whatever that looks like for you. It could be a friendship that's separated. It could be a romantic relationship that's separated. It could be a coworker that you're no longer, you know, close to or whatever it is, but that permission to just operate separately from that person is, is so important. And, and it's, I feel like a, a behavior we're not used to. It's a pattern we're not used to after we're kind of used to codependency in a way, for lack of a better way of saying it, after some time. So that's really, really important. Um, yeah. This one says, I've been doing some healing work and I'm starting to realize that so much of my relationship ending was actually my fault. My wounds, my need for control, my lack of communication, just to name a few. With this new awareness, I've cultivated a lot of shame. How do I shake the shame? Okay, let's quick 20 second timeout to talk about an amazing free resource for you or someone you know who's feeling sick and tired of crying on the bathroom floor drained from divorce. I get it. I stayed stuck in the struggle bus for far too long because I didn't know what to do next. It's time to get up off that bathroom floor and hit the reboot button to start moving forward. Simply share or visit joyfullydivorce.com today to download the free what now workbook. It's a blueprint that outlines the six simple steps to starting fresh. I've taken the guesswork out of what's next because we all deserve to design the life we truly desire. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. How, who has not looked at their past and said, Ooh, 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 should have done that one different. <laughs> right. So this is where you want to use kind sight. Mm. Where instead of looking in the back and criticizing yourself, look at it and say, okay, how can this be my teacher? What can I learn and gain from this? I've learned new things. I've gained new things. I have new self-awareness. So now I need to use that knowledge to empower my future, to do things differently. I can check in with myself and say, do I need to make amends with this? You know, that's one of the, the 12 steps in AA program is that you go to people that you've hurt or harmed and make amends as long as it's not harmful to them. But somebody might write a letter to someone and say, I've been reflecting, I'm now aware that I did do these things that affected you these, this way, and I'm sorry, I hope you will forgive me. You can do that. And then you also need to have that conversation with ourselves. Like, I need to forgive myself for that. And forgiving is releasing. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I'm not going to try to wrestle with this anymore. I'm not going to keep it in the forefront of my mind to make sure I keep my eye on it. It's, it is done. So when it comes to the gates of your mind, you say it is done. And you let it flow on the conveyor belt. You turn the mind from it. And you say it is done. It is forgiven. Mm -hmm. And you orient yourself to the here and now and moving forward. And just saying, I will make sure my life is better for this experience. And I will be committed to doing things differently. And that's the best I can do. Mm. So there you go. Yes. I love that you brought up kind sight because that was something I was going to ask you about from your book. 
um, that I read about that I loved. So I'm glad that you put that in, in this explanation. I also think that when I was going through divorce, I wasn't quite ready to say things to certain people just yet. It's, it took me actually like over a year to acknowledge vocally, vocalize to, to people that I was responsible for certain things that I did perhaps do things that I wasn't really proud of or said things or acted certain ways. But um, I think a beautiful part of the healing process is that self-awareness of, oh, and I give myself permission to say, hey, I, I didn't know what I didn't know then. And now that I picked up different healing tools and things along my journey and got support along the way, now that I do know, then I can move forward with this version of me. But I don't have to shame myself or blame myself. I shake the shame by, like you said, really just forgiving myself for not knowing what I didn't know when I was in that relationship. Just so much softness and lightness. But if you can't talk compassion. Yeah, compassion for yourself. Um, if you can't talk to the person right now, I would also suggest just writing to them without even giving them a letter or, or sending the email or whatever. Just write it as if it was coming. I, I started with the writing and then I would read it out loud just to myself in private as if the person was sitting with me. And then, like I said, over a year, maybe a little bit more later, then I actually was able to give the letter to the person that um, I needed to share. I felt like I needed to share it with. But you don't always need to get to that step where you actually have to say it to the person or share it with the person. I think that's just a personal, a personal choice that your intuition really guides you with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two things come to mind as I'm hearing you talk. And one is that we, we experience toxic shame by give, when we're given unrealistic expectations that aren't developmentally appropriate or mindful of the context. And so a lot of times children are shamed for not knowing things they wouldn't know or to have a more advanced neurological brain functioning than they did at five. You know, five-year-olds aren't going to think like 12-year-olds. How this translates to adulthood, and I, I experience this a lot when we're in therapy with folks, is that they will judge the younger versions of themselves from the current capability, perspective, values, mindset. And you see this a lot with abuse histories yeah. where they will feel guilty and shame for not advocating, speaking up, um, taking a stand, informing people, saying no, whatever it might be. And I have to help them realize that five-year-olds don't think like that. Ten-year-olds don't think like that. They don't even know that that's an option. And so you have to put in the context of what is a five-year-old brain like? What is that 20-year-old brain like? What's that 24-year-old brain? They say that a male brain, the frontal lobe, which we use for critical thinking, judgment, delay gratification, impulse control, all the things you need to be a healthy, responsible, loving adult who can restrain your emotion and think about what someone is saying and attend to it in an effective way. We need the frontal lobe. 
And that is not done developing until about the age of 25 in a male brain. So here you're married to a 23-year-old, 24-year-old that is being selfish, impulsive, reckless, not thinking about how their actions are affecting other people, turning to their vices. And, and the, the person says, I, I cannot live a ma marriage like this. They get divorced. And then that person, mature brain matures, they get into the 30s, get into their 40s, and they go, wow, what kind of person was I that I would treat someone like that? I must have been really awful because they value things differently. They see things differently. So we, we have to put it in a developmental context and a skill a accusation, acquisition, I can't say the word, acquisition. Like what skills did you have then? What skills do you have now? What resources did you have then? What resources do you have now? And we must guard from judging our earlier versions from this perspective. Mm. So that's one thought I had. The second one was, it's hard for us to say we're sorry when other people are at fault too, because if we are in a culture that thinks very black and white, it almost translates to, if I say I did something wrong, then that means you didn't and I did. Yeah. I'm the one that did all the wrong and you're not the one. So I don't want to say I'm sorry because then you're going to escape responsibility or think that it was me that was wrong. And I don't want you to think that, right? Yeah. Listen to the word think. We're doing perception management there. So to overcome that tendency, we have to let go of the perception management, let go of managing what they think and what they know or what they don't know. That's the inside job and we're not inside mm. that, that, that space. So if somebody feels like I need to honor myself and I need to say this or acknowledge it for whatever reason, you can journal it. Like you said, you can speak it to the mountains, yeah. to walk out in nature, or you can tell that person however you do, but acknowledge that that doesn't, just because you are acknowledging your part, you also are acknowledging there's other parts too, and that your acknowledgement does not minimize or, or change that. So you're the one that validates because now, we're the adult in the room. We don't need that adult to say our feelings are real like we did when we were children. Now, because we are the adult in the room, we do acknowledge our feelings are real because we are feeling them. We're not judging them. And we're supporting ourselves with compassion and acceptance and just knowing that, you know, humaning is hard. That's the way it is. So Humaning is hard. One of my newest favorite phrases is just, I can do hard things. I repeat that phrase to myself several times a day. I just started doing it like two months ago. I don't even know. I picked it up somewhere. Anyway, yeah. I yeah. saw it somewhere and I just thought, wow, I don't, I don't have to let the fact that I believe that this is hard hold to hold me back. I can allow, yeah. like you said, like the same thing goes with emotions. It's like, I can allow this to be hard instead of going, this is hard, I can't do it. This is hard, I don't want it. This is hard. And just like pushing against the hard actually makes it harder rather than going, you know what? Technology is kind of hard for me, but I can, I can do hard things. Giving yes. my permission to just keep going when things are hard, like I can do hard things, has really just given me so much compassion for myself. And you can access resources. 
Because like, think if we had children, we would say, wow, they're really struggling. I'm going to get a tutor. I'm going to have them take classes. I'm going to instruct them. So now because we are that adult, we can do that for ourselves. Like I'm really struggling with technology. Shame says, don't let people know. Yeah. Stupid. And you know, people will think this about you, whatever, forget about it. Let that go. It's going to talk to you. Let it go. It's like noise in the, in the space, like a car next to you with boom, 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 you know, playing the music, just ignore it. And let's say, okay, what do I need? Maybe I need a lesson. Maybe I need to hire someone, but I do need instruction. And I give myself permission to say, Hey, I don't have the answer to this. I do need help and I'm going to get it. And if that person makes me feel uh, dumb for asking for help, then I will ask somebody else. I'm not going to waste my time mm. trying to change that person's behavior because it's not my job and there's more resources. So, yeah, I love yeah. that you brought that up around shame again, right? All, all roads lead to shame. Um, because when I first separated, the last thing I wanted to do was ask for help. And I had my core support circle saying like, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? My mom's saying like, move home immediately. I'm get, buying you one way ticket from California back to Michigan, all the things, right? Like everybody just wants to do something to make you feel better than you do right now. Right. Yeah. And at that, I remember going through that thinking, well, I don't want to get a therapist. Like, I wish I knew you. I wish I had bumped into you way earlier before I had, when I met you, I was feeling pretty good about myself and, and moving forward. But I had stayed stuck for so long because I just had this notion from shame. I was so ashamed to serve myself support, right? Yeah, but that's, that's a protective stance as well, because sometimes when we ask for help when we're younger, help could have been more of a problem than the problem. Mm -hmm. Like if, because this can be codependent behavior of other people. When they see you distress, if they sweep in and they want to comfort you and they want to give to you and they want, but is that what you want? Maybe you want quiet space. Maybe you need to not have noise. Maybe you don't want people coming to the house because you just want to grieve and, and, support yourself. Mm -hmm. And so as the outside person, we need to check ourselves and say, well, who, who am I comforting here? Is comforting them comforting me? Because if I'm distressed because they're distressed and I'm trying to make sure they're not distressed, then I'm being codependent. Codependent is you you freaking out, freaks me out. So I'm going to over-function for your freak out. So you don't freak out. <laughs> Let it go. And so when we have our support systems like that, it can feel really suffocating, intrusive. It, and, and they'll tell us, you need this. And, and because we're letting outside things still define what we need and what's right and not right, like the child mind, then we think, well, I don't know what I need. Well, guess what? You do. And as you begin to listen to your inner wisdom and your intuition, and you are able to ask for what you need, access the resources, say no, and do that, we develop self-trust. And when we develop self-trust, then we're okay being the adult in the room. But that, that's part of that process of healing from the child. It's kind of like um, when I started in, as a psychologist, I had training and they would video me and I had supervisors I could meet with after sessions that watched me in sessions and they give me feedback and then they 
affirmed me and said, you're doing good and you're doing it the way we taught you. And then eventually I got to a point where now I'm doing it alone. Nobody's watching me. Nobody's evaluating me. Mm. I have to evaluate myself. I have to check in with my own inner knowledge. Like, am I doing this things like I've been told? Yes. Am I being ethical? Am I being legal? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And I'm the one judging that now. And, and then over time, I got confidence into that where, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing, right? Okay. That is exactly what we do from going from child to adulting is that we're, we're acquiring that, um, that skill and ability and then practicing and then building that knowledge that we can do this. But when we come from shame-bound families, they didn't coach us. They didn't give us feedback or the feedback they gave us was really toxic telling us that there's something flawed with us. We don't think right, feel right, need right. Why are you doing this? Why can't you do this? What's wrong with you? This stuff. So we didn't get that transitional support. Mm. And we're still looking for that mirror of, am I capable of thinking for myself? Am, am I correct in identifying this need and feeling? I, it is, right? We're not looking outside anymore because nobody has is qualified to fulfill that for us. Right. So we have to now go within and build that self-trust and really, and, and find there like a therapist that is safe and healthy and that you feel that you have a good rapport with to, to be that sounding board, um, to guide you through that transition, to build that self-trust. But once you do, you can pretty much stand in your own and, and be okay with making mistakes and not getting it right and things. Cause you know, the big picture, Hearts in the right space, and you're doing the best you can. Ooh, that is so good. I I came from the background where my parents were just always helping, like more help, more help, more help. Like in trouble, just even when I wasn't in trouble, like how can we help you more? How can we be there for like really, really in it, right? And so when I moved away, and then when this huge event happened in my life where I didn't have, I didn't actually have any friends out in California when I got divorced. I didn't really know anybody. I didn't have a support circle or a system. It was like, like you said, just immediately the first thing was like, come back and help right away. Like we gotta do something about this. We gotta help you. And I had lunch with my mom last month and for the first time it's i got divorced in 2015 for the first time in 2022 i actually said to her you know what the best thing i did for myself was stay there alone it was the first time that i for it was the first time probably ever in my life where i had to make choices for myself by myself in order to find myself, who I really, really was. And it completely changed, changed my life. So listen to how you just reframe that. You just went from, I neglected myself because I didn't ask for help mm -hmm. to I empowered myself to allow myself to help myself and be present in that space and not try to change it, not try to relieve it. You, you acknowledge in the first scenario that, yeah, it would have been helpful if I had um, an objective, like somebody who was able to be objective, a third party to support me in the way that I needed. Yeah. But the way that I had received support in the past didn't always fit with what I needed. Mm. And I, my prote I protected myself by no thank you because it might have overwhelmed me at times 
when I needed that quiet space to reflect and to sit with and to connect with myself and figure out what, what's right for me. Yeah. Ooh, thank you for that reflection. That was so beautiful. That feels real good. Real good. But it's yeah. not me I mean it's about everybody you build that trust you you know that empowered you and got you to the place you are now that when you allowed yourself to say let me try let me see if I can do this and what I can learn about myself in this journey and that's just such a wonderful thing you did for yourself yeah thank you thank you for that this next question hits home in so many ways and so many of my clients this is their number one pain point this is just so much so this person says i'm having a hard time moving forward because i'm so lonely i feel lost in the loop of loneliness how can i break this cycle so what are your um what about loneliness this is a big one. And not just for divorced people. I think a lot of people suffer, are suffering in loneliness. This is a historical wound. A mm. lot of times when we have this, if we ask people, how long have you felt that way? Ooh. They can go all the way back into their early, early childhood, just feeling alone at home. Mm. Nobody is there, not having friends and just being so hungry for that sense of connection, attachment, and wanting attachment, really. And this is why it haunts us, is because we're in the present moment trying to repair what needed to be repaired in our childhood. If it doesn't get repaired, it gets stuck, and we're continuing to try to repair it, but the timeline has changed. Mm -hmm. And so as a child, we were alone because nobody was there to feed us, to be with us, to guide us, to drive us, things like that. But as the adult now, we're not alone because we are with us. Our, Our adult is with us. And we can start to say, I need to expand my connections and I need to build a sense of community and support and really find a way to be emotionally available and and find emotionally available people and and know what that looks like and things like that. And then you start to take action to build that. And eventually you will find your community, you will find your person. And the ideal circumstance is that we develop the ability to be at peace and content in our loneliness in being by ourselves. And when somebody is there with us, we have peace and contentment and the freedom to lean into that and fully receive it. So we allow ourselves to be dependent with somebody. We call that interdependency. They depend on us, we depend on them. And then if they're not available, we can depend on ourselves. So we're doing that dance. And most people over idolize the independent stance. I'll do it myself. I don't need anyone. I'm strong. Look at me go, you know. (laughs) It's like good, but also receive it when it's available. And that's, they'll get a lot of anxiety about that because they don't know it's safe to lean on someone to trust someone. Now it is now safe to do that because if it goes south, guess what? You're going to take proper action. You're going to say, excuse me. No, not on my watch. 
Mm. We didn't feel safe before because we allowed it to happen on our watch. So now we have to really take those brave stands or positions and manage our life and really empower ourselves to manage our life. And when we do that, it's going to be okay. You know, we can start to get a sense that I'm going to be okay. And when we heal it, we actually can enjoy being alone and doing things independently. I remember the idea of going to a movie by myself, a restaurant by myself, horrified me, horrified me. Yes. Same. It's like a dream come true. It's like, oh, it's so wonderful. I'm going to go to the movie. I mean, why not? It just, because I'm with me. I'm having a great time. But I also would love to go with somebody if they're there. So we're kind of managing that. So that loneliness can often be a chronic emotion from the past. And, the, and that's the kind of approach we want to use to begin to heal it. Ooh, that makes sense. That makes so much sense. I, you know, I've been here. I've, I've been in this space, in this place not now but I have been of loneliness and I feel like one of the things that started to support me a little bit more was definitely healing the inner child wounds but also changing my relationship to loneliness and what I mean by that is I think there's some of these societal stigmas that are that have uh, it's almost like a movie put out there, put that out there in our face that it's bad to fly solo. It's bad. Or you should always be searching for a partner. You should always be searching for a plus one or something like that. And so, so then there's shame, right? When I don't have what I think society says I'm supposed to have in order to feel how I think I want to feel but when I changed my narrative to loneliness and it sounded something like this alone time is helping me really find the version of me that I like this alone time, not lonely. This alone time is allowing me to become the woman that I deeply love instead of calling it loneliness all the time. Right? Yeah. And your community that you want to attract and have be surrounded with are people that aren't going to, they're going to think that's awesome. And so the people, you see this kind of stuff in movies and stuff where they say, what is someone as attractive as you still single? Like, right, right. Something must be amiss, right? right. <laughs> and right. so shame tells us to do appearance management and to manage that thought, let it go. We cannot manage what people think. If they're going to think something's wrong with us because we're lonely, well, then I'm glad I'm not hanging out with that person because I really don't need to hear it. I'm going to be with someone that's going to say, wow, you took brave action. You took courageous action. Tell me about it. Tell me about you. I want to learn about you, not presume that I know about you. I want to learn about you. Mm -hmm. And so we want that kind of people around us. So if somebody gets side eyes with you just let them side eye their side right out the door <laughs> side door that's great i love it so much um there is one here on grief but i almost just want to direct them to our podcast episode because i feel like it will really really answer their questions so that was such a great episode yeah i think if you are watching this and you had the question about grief, I'll read it out loud and then um, this person will know that we're directing you and 
in your grief to go to Cup of Joy, the podcast, and get, we'll link it in the show notes as well, get that episode with Dr. Sean, because it is, it goes into deep, deep, deep detail around grief specific to this. But they said, I'm feeling all the grief of losing my best friend and partner, but I'm also grieving what I thought would be what we would be creating together. Okay. So they're forward thinking. The like, dream. Yes. The dream. Like you talked about earlier. Um, like now I'll never have what we were working towards. Is it okay to grieve for the future? How can I handle this in a healthy way? I'm sad, but I'm also angry at him for throwing away so many great opportunities together. There's a lot here, right? There's, mm -hmm. a, lot here. There's a lot. Well, we have to remember a dream is just a dream. It doesn't mean that is what was going to happen. Exactly. You know, it's like when exactly. people, I, I sometimes think about parents, like if this parent died early in one's life, they are likely to idealize what that parent would have been like if they lived. Mm. When in fact, it might be a really hard journey to have that parent in your life, right? right. So you're, we presume that because I had that dream, that is what is going to unfold. And we just have to remind ourselves it was a dream. And whether that is what happened or didn't happen that relationship, you know, it's to, we'll never know. But it, the dream is not done. Create new dreams and yeah. find someone that will journey with you in that way. And if those you have things on your bucket list, do that with your partner and let go of the idealized dream that you had attached to somebody that and just remember, it's it's not fact. It was just an imagined scenario. Yeah. And also create those new dreams and start start doing those dreams, even without a partner, you know, even if you want to invite a friend, that's great, all the things, but also try to journey it on your own and see if you attract what you're looking for while you're living out your new dreams for yourself, right? There's a lot of people that say like, time will heal, time heals all. I, I think that's a bunch of BS. That's just my personal opinion. And I won't go into it there, we don't have enough time. We have so many questions. But I really believe in just deciding what your next best step is, deciding who you want to become, and starting to go down that path rather than just sitting on your hands and waiting. And I don't mean just like railroading your healing journey and, and not dealing with your wounds and coping. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that. I don't. Yeah. And sometimes right. when people sit on their hands, that is a way they're protecting themselves from the perceived failure yeah. or from the, the fear of being hurt again. So self-sabotage is a maladaptive self-protection. Mm -hmm. So instead of getting mad at self-sabotage, thank it, mm -hmm. but remind it that there are new and other ways to protect yourself than the way that it is doing in that moment. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yes, and go check out that podcast episode on grief. It is just so incredible. Um, Grief is, grief is tough. Grief is tough. Yeah. A lot. Especially when people tell you how you should be grieving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we have a lot more questions and we're not going to be able to get to them all tonight. Um, but let me see. Actually, some of these, I think we already answered a lot of the questions too. Da, 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 da. So I want to ask you a little bit about um, there. 
I started diving into your book. You guys, Dr. Sean just published. Is it coming out? Can they go today and get it? Tomorrow? Right now? Can they get it? It went live today. So, yes. Yeah, it was kind of an unexpected project. The publisher contacted me and said, hey, we want to write this book. Would you be interested in writing it? And so we went back and forth and I decided to, to go ahead and do it. And so it's a therapeutic journal. And they found, this publisher noticed that there was a, a, niche, a niche to be met uh, or a, a gap in the stuff, information out there for faith-based communities who struggle with anxiety. Oh, um, there wasn't a resource that was science-based or evidence-based or faith-based communities. And one of the things that happens, one of the environments that we experience being toxic shame is our religious communities. Um, it just is a hot one. And so I have a passion for helping people heal with that while also supporting their desire to maintain a spiritual practice and a faith a relationship and a belief in God. There are a lot of, a lot of information out there about healing from religious trauma that it, that directs people towards an atheist kind of way. So I'm, I'm more interested in reconciliation, like letting them find their way. And it doesn't mean that they have to reject God, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, what happened when, one of the ways churches will shame people is that when they struggle with something, they often give spiritual explanations and spiritual solutions and don't acknowledge things that um, are actual uh, medical, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you're blind, you're, you, we're going to pray that your blindness is removed and, you know, you might need to go see, you need to see a doctor, figure out what's going on, see a doctor for heart surgery, high blood pressure, thyroid going wonky, you need to see a doctor. So when it comes to mental health, when it comes to anxiety, um, oh, so I, I jumped ahead. The title is A Christian Journal for Women with Anxiety with Prompts to Soothe the Anxious Thoughts and Find Strength in Your Faith. So what the, the emphasis in this is to bring my knowledge as a clinical psychologist mm -hmm. who is experienced in delivering treatment and therapy that is evidence-based to treat anxiety um, to bring that and in a way that is in the context of a Judeo-Christian worldview. So it's trusted in those faith-based communities that they know that I'm integrating that, mm. saying, you know, here is a teaching in scripture, but here's the science that supports it. Yeah. So I love polyvagal theory. I'm, I um, teach a lot about that to understand your nervous system and why your body is acting the way it is. Mm -hmm. What's so important to know is that your anxiety is not caused by thoughts. That's the second layer. Your anxiety is a nervous system condition. Now the thoughts can complicate it when it doesn't understand what's going on. And it starts creating the stories and the, and getting alarmed. It's like a child that falls. It's involuntary. It's hurt. And the parent that's freaking out over the child falling. Oh my gosh, my child is broken. That's our, our second layer of the modern brain, trying to understand the ancient brain, why it's doing what it's doing. And sometimes anxiety, we can't describe it. We can't explain it, we can't describe it. So we have to know how to hack our body and, and what kind of things can help improve our anxiety. So in this book, I talk about mental things that can improve, physical things that can improve, 
um, lifestyle things that can help improve, you know, from water, nutrition, to vagal tone exercises, to mind tools like having hindsight and things like that. So I teach and then I give prompts to help people apply it within a, a faith context as well. But it's not a, a Bible study. It's not, um, right. you know, saying going that direction. It's more medical. Yeah, I was I I wasn't even sure um, what the name of the book was or anything like that. And then I got my early bird copy in the mail, which thank you so much. I was so excited to get it. And you guys, it yeah. is absolutely beautiful. It is if you're like me, you love its colors and it's not like so much words that you can't, it's not overwhelming. It's very, very beautifully guided. And what I was going to say too, is that what I love, I'm about a third of the way through because I'm, I don't want to rush it, but I only <laughs> this on my coffee table through the weekend. And I already had two people asking me where they can get it. They want it. They want uh... a copy with them. And I was like, you cannot take that copy. It is very special and sacred to me. But what I say is, um, I know it says Christian journal for women with anxiety, but so far what I have read is as with any book that I read, you can take what applies to you and leave behind what doesn't. So if you're not a Christian woman, what I want to say is, or you're not a faith-based person, if you are, this is a beautiful resource to weave in the mental health aspects and the wellness world and so many juicy things. And if you're not, it is such a beautiful resource also. You do not have to be, but it is a beautiful add of layering in. There are just, just so many beautiful doses. You can skip over the parts that are not applicable, but it's not a traditional, it's not like a devotional, like a faith-based devotional. No. It, it is, is shame-free too. It's yeah, it's not doctrinal. It's shame-free. And I do think men would benefit from it yeah. and anybody. Yeah. And, and the publisher was very um, clear that they wanted it to be inclusive to all communities, including the LGBTQ plus faith-based communities yeah. that um, are Christians who are identifying within that community. So it, it has, it's neutral in terms of it's not doctrinal, it's not preachy, yeah. it's not um, corrective. It's saying this, your faith is a great resource. Your spiritual practice is essential for well-being. Yeah. And here's what you need to know about your mind and body. Here are actual tools that you can use to help and keep leaning on your faith because it is a great tool, you know, and here, so I kind of weave that in, but it is pretty, it's so inclusive. I, I'm almost, um, when the publisher highlighted that title, I was like, uh, it almost gives an impression that it's um, a little bit more preachy Bible study kind of thing, but it's, I think people will find it very, not be defensive with it and feel very comfortable, very affirming, very accepting yes. and supportive. Oh, it really is. It really is. Because one of my favorite parts about the book is how interactive it is. It's literally like every other page. There is an action item. I like to call them alignment assignments, right? But like there's an actionable thing, something you can actually take, a tool you can take and put into your life right now. Then there's reflection, self-reflection. There's just so many good juicy questions in there. And then there's also the backing scientifically and then the backing if you want to take the religious 
religious part with it, the spiritual part with it, take it or leave mm -hmm. it. Right. It, and mm -hmm. it's just so well laid out in that way. So I'm so excited. I'm so proud of you. It's not easy to write a book. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I had 10 weeks Good. to write it. Wow. Good like, job. Like, it was, yeah. And, and that they, the publishers use the language they use is off page. They wanted off page practices, like things you would do outside of the book that you could apply in your life. Like this week, do this, yeah. you know, kind of thing. They almost didn't let me put the kind side in. I had to go oh, to bat so for that. I'm like, please don't take that out. Please oh, that. <laughs> literally one of the things I wrote down, it was like kind side versus hindsight. Let's yeah. talk about it, which we did. And yeah. I said, like, that's a new one. I, I love it so much. I'm taking that moving forward. I want to be super respectful of your time. I know you are a senior woman. Um, do you have time to talk about one or two more things from your book or do you need to jet? Sure. No, I don't need to jet. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you, I got to find my favorite questions. I have so many, maybe we just <laughs> do another live or another, or a podcast just on your book. There's so many good things. Um, we certainly can. Yeah. So, well, this I, I will say the publisher didn't want the, I have a no compete thing. Like for two years, I can't write anything that's like in this book. So it has no shame in this book. Yeah. because, or it doesn't address shame because I'm going to write my book on shame or, you know, more stuff. So I couldn't let it compete with that. Yeah. Okay. So just to give people a little taste, I'll just ask you one of the questions. Cause I think, it's okay. cool. and no matter where you're at in life, we can all relate to this. You talk about setting a worry appointment. Can you oh. talk about what is a worry appointment and how does it help? Oh my, this is such a great tool in therapy. When people are ruminating um, and it just they're constantly worrying, 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 worrying about it. They can't let it go. It's haunting them. And it is a real problem that they, in this moment, cannot change. They can't fix it, but their brain wants to. Their brain is trying to look at, how do I solve this? So we say, make a worry appointment. Set time aside where you say, okay, from 7 to 7.30, I am going to worry the best that I can. I'm not going to let any worry go unnoticed. I am going to sit down, I'm going to brainstorm. I'm going to say it out loud. It's very powerful. Look in the mirror and say it to yourself. Like, I am so worried about this. I don't like this, whatever it is. And then when 730 is done, it's done. Appointment over. And that means you can't let it come. So when the worry comes to you, you say, it's not time. I will talk to you at seven o'clock tonight. And then it comes, you say, seven o'clock tonight. And then when seven comes, you give it your full attention. And then when it's done, it's over. And you can do that with grief too. You know, when people are thinking and ruminating about it, anything you're ruminating about that your brain is wanting to not let go, designate a, a small block of time that is just for that. The rest of the time, it's like a person interrupting you to say, I'll, I'll talk to you later, but I can't right now. I love that. I'm writing down, make a grief appointment because I know that's something that is so, so important for so many people that I, that I touch base with. Okay. Yeah. We're going to do one more because I want them to just like be so hungry for your book that they have <laughs> right tonight. So this one was really cool. So can you talk a little bit about negativity bias and some of the ways that you've either shifted this yourself or with other clients? Um, so are you talking about like from a neurocircuit perspective? So when we think certain ways, we tend to get these habits in our thoughts. And it's, it's like a hiking trail. When you keep going on a certain trail, 
if you keep walking it, it gets really established. Mm -hmm. And if it keeps getting used, eventually they might get paved. Maybe eventually a road will be built on it. Mm. So this is why we keep thinking and struggling with something like it's a default. And people say, I'm a negative person. That's who I am. You're not a negative person. You have practiced and rehearsed your negative thought frequently. And your neurocircuitry has made it a high priority. It's created a freeway so you can easily access that negative thought because your brain is saying, for some reason, you really require it. So we can switch that, but that means we have to train our brain to have a new habit and to look at what is, is working, what you are grateful for. The bias is whatever I'm focusing on, that's what I'm going to see more of. Mm. It's like um, if I decide, hey, I want to buy Jeeps, all of a sudden that's what I see everywhere. I just keep seeing Jeeps. Yeah. If you're evaluating all, all your um, weaknesses, all you're going to see is your weaknesses. You're not going to see your strengths. So we can get that bias with our mind. We can do that filtering with our mind. So we need to correct it, unglue ourselves from that. And instead of saying, this is who I am, I always notice this or I think like that. No, thoughts are not truths and they aren't who you are. They're a phenomenon that we, our brain experiences. And we can reshape it, we can redirect it, but it takes intention to do that. And it takes time to do that. It's like healing a broken bone takes two to three months. So you have to be very intentional about shaping a new way of uh, thinking. And over time, it will become more natural. Ooh, that was such a good explanation of that. There are so many epic things in this book. I like it's. It's the only thing I'm reading right now, which I usually have six things I'm reading. So um, thank you for my copy. I will probably be buying several more to send to people who oh. really, really need it. And thank you. where people can find it. I think it's on Amazon. Yeah. Well, they said anywhere where books are sold. So I Googled it. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's at Target. It's, you know, anywhere where books are sold. Um, I was hoping today I could go in the bookstore and show it on the shelf, but it said it wasn't in stock. I was like, oh. You're sold out already. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sold so, um, so yeah, Amazon, if you're on Instagram, you can go to my bio, click on it. There's a link that will take you straight to it. They have me listed as Sean Horn Sidey, which is my credentials instead of Dr. Sean or something. Okay. So if they, they put in Sean Horn, it will pop up. Um, so yeah, you can buy it anywhere. It's yeah. so, so good. You guys go get your copy. It looks just like this. It's beautiful. You. you can get it anywhere. And where can people get more of you? What, what are you up to these days? Where can they work with you or get more of you or find? I mean, you have like so many platforms that you're on. Like what's the best way to get more of you in their life? Yeah, I think I'm able to go in more depth on my YouTube and my podcast. Okay. So I definitely am more on social or on Instagram than anything. Uh, but I am the podcast and the YouTube is going to be great resources. Uh, I am now that this project is done. I'm now putting together my new episodes of the podcast and I am beginning to put together the curriculum for the inspired living school that I'm, that I've been saying I'm going to launch here for the last couple of years. 
But that's where I'm going to teach the mindfulness skills, the conveyor belt, the radical, accept, all the things like we talked about today, yeah. how to heal from shame. So those will roll out. And as they roll out, people can sign up and take the courses and, um, and then send me questions. I'll do videos. I'm happy to do videos. They send me a question. I'll do a video on it, put it up on YouTube, do a shout out on Instagram saying it's over there. Oh, so yeah. what's the name of your podcast? Inspired Living. Inspired, Inspired Living Podcast. Awesome. Yeah. It's over there. Is it in all areas? Just go wherever podcasts are. Wherever podcasts are. Cool. Um, I think there's like 31 episodes published. I haven't published one in over a year, I think. But mostly, I just really can do one thing fully at a time. So I had my TEDx, which totally took all my time and attention. Then this book. Now I'm free. So now it's time for the school and the courses. And, yeah. It's going to be so good. What's the, what's the name of your YouTube channel again? Everything is Dr. Sean Horn. Okay. So you put in Dr. Sean Horn, you can find me on Facebook, on TikTok. I've gone viral on TikTok. Yes. It's funny. Well, you were yeah. like in like the founding member of TikTok. I remember like way back when during COVID times, you were out there every day being on TikTok. And I was like, what is this new thing? You know? Oh, yeah. How it's like everywhere, but you were you were doing it before it was like even a really really big thing. So yeah. I I love all your videos. Go watch her; she's super entertaining. I am so so grateful for your time and your energy here today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your wisdom. And I have two quick closing questions for you, which you may be familiar with because you've been on my podcast before. Oh, I forgot, yeah. but. Yeah, I know, right? What's one thing that you love most about yourself? That I'm always learning new things. And you know what I'm learning right now? I'm learning how to yodel. What? I'm yodeling. I'm yodeling. What? I cannot tell you why I thought of it because I'm allergic to country music. Like I do not like country music, but I learned there's cowboy music, there's Western music. I don't know. So I just got really into it and now I'm yodeling, which is a great bagel tone exercise. Yeah. Amazing. I feel so euphoric after I do it. I feel vibrant. I feel joyful and, and everyone laughs when you yodel and everyone laughs when you talk about yodeling. It is so much fun. And it is just a kick. And I sound like a donkey giving birth, <laughs> but it's okay because it's getting better. And I've moved on from donkey version and now I actually can make it sound a little bit okay. So Wow. Yeah. I cannot so, wait for more of your yodeling debut. I'm so, it, it does bring me a lot of joy to hear that you are learning yodeling. That's I'm learning amazing. Yodeling constant learner. And on that note, we'll end with the last question, which is what does joy feel like in your body? Oh, well, what I've noticed with yodeling is I have this sensation in my lungs that is so like I have air and spaces in my lungs that I've never had before. So it feels very crisp, very clean, very full, very vibrant. And so I really like this lung sensation. And I have no tension in my body, I would say. Like, you know, shoulders aren't tense and, and I feel um, peaceful and I feel um, flowy. Yes. Ooh, 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 ooh. I love it. You have such good energy and you're such an amazing resource. So thanks again. I'm sure this won't be the last time that we chat. 
everybody go get this woman's amazing work of art here. She's incredible. And, um, can I just say your retreat you did looked amazing. Oh, it was so beautiful. It was just that venue was amazing. If you ever do retreat again, I'd love to collab oh, with you or something. Oh, that, I want to go. It was so amazing. It was so neat because we had all of I had all of my clients that worked with me for the whole entire year. We had a nine month wow. container. And at the end, I hadn't planned on doing a retreat and every single woman was like we want to be with each other. We want to see each other. We want to hug each other. We want to like the journey with people to do deep transformational healing for nine months. You become family, you become friends, you become, there's just so much vulnerability. So yeah, in the fall we did that and good job creating that. I'm going to do it again this year. So if anybody out there is a divorced woman who's looking for healing, we are taking enrollments um, next month for my new container called Joyfully Divorced. It's a oh. brand new container. We'll end up doing Divorce Women's Weekend after that. So so anyways, you guys follow Dr. Sean. Have an amazing day. Go out into the world. Shine your light bright and love yourselves healthy. See y'all soon. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you love what you heard, please take a quick second to screenshot this episode and share it with someone that you know would love it. Connecting with you brings sunshine to my soul. So let's continue the conversation on Instagram at joyfullybe. Drop me a message, question, or share your own junk to joy story with me. Remember that joy is contagious. You can help me spread it by leaving a little buzz, aka a review, on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Cup of Joy, the podcast, and my soulful services, visit cupofjoythepodcast.com. Chat soon.